Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrew and I'm here with Peter Coghill and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing how your use of Facebook can affect your insurance premiums. So, Chris, can you lead us in and tell us about how uh, insurance companies are starting to use Facebook information? Yeah, so there's um, some UK insurers now who are starting to um, look at uh, the text that people put on their Facebook pages and start doing analysis of that text uh, in order to make decisions about what people's insurance premiums should be. Um, And I think this raises a number of, uh, or a couple of particularly interesting uh, areas to do with um, what what your language, your use of language tells you about uh, an individual and the extent to which uh, these new types of um, assessment of individuals are just actually masking um, other ways of assessing people more traditionally and to what extent they're actually a new way of looking looking at individuals. So I think there's a, cu- a couple of interesting uh, issues that come out of this. Okay. Um, anything you want to come in at this point with, Peter? Uh, well, just to re-echo that, that since, since, the, since 2012, since the EU courts ruled that gender could no longer be used, along with other factors, could no longer be used for assessing uh, your risk and therefore your insurance premium, Still, uh, analysis has been done, and still, people, young men, are still and are still paying much more for their insurance. So, mm-hmm. the insurance companies have found uh, other things to use, which either accidentally or on purpose act as proxies for age and sex. Okay, so it could be something relatively simple going on here, which is just uh, about availability of information and the tools that insurance companies and ourselves have our disposal they're just quite simply using um, new technologies which make uh, more information available that's what it sounds like to me so Chris you said this makes you think of certain questions well well, well, let's go into that can you develop it a bit further yeah so a little bit so I think they were looking when they were doing this um, assessment of uh, you know Facebook content uh, they Apparently, they're keeping the algorithms quite secretive, but uh, some of the things they are they are looking for are, um, f- first of all, how well you use uh, English, how good your spelling is and your grammar and your punctuation. Um, and the other thing they're starting to look at is uh, the way you use language, so how... Um, particularly looking for things like overconfident language as a marker of somebody who might drive in an overconfident way. Um, And so the first, going back to the first point, um, it it raises this interesting issue of, you know, when you're doing analysis, there's lots of text analytics going on at the moment. And when you're using language, um, you know, when you start assessing for things like punctuation and uh, spelling, what are, what are you actually doing there? Because, um, you know, traditionally we have uh, standardized spelling and punctuation in, in, uh, in English. Um, and the, the reason given for that has always been about the conveyance of meaning. And yet, um, 
you know, I, I would argue that uh, actually it's it's not really about the conveyance of, of meaning. You know, when somebody puts an apostrophe in the in the wrong place, if you've got a sign outside a, a, a grocer's or something that says, um, you know, orange apostrophe S 50p, oranges 50p, you know, th- nobody thinks that's about 50p belonging to an orange. So, mm-hmm. um, but some people are very very fixated on the correct use of of apostrophes and that this is this is essential and i think i think that's quite interesting because you know what it what it essentially is doing is uh it's acting as a signal for something else about the person you are making a judgment but you know you you understand something and you've, you you know what the marker is and you use that to make an assessment about somebody else. Are they in your club or not of people who use apostrophes uh, correctly? And I, I, I think that's, a, um, that's an interesting piece of information. It, yeah. Well, I guess sort of, you know, in the case of what we're talking about there is, I mean, the two things. So if we're looking at behavior on Facebook and the language that people use, that could be uh, signaling one thing. But if we just focus it just for a moment, this slight detour, if we're focusing on grammar, um, which this is, let's call it a grammar mistake. To me, that says that, I mean, I was a teacher for years and two things I felt was that one, certainly because I was teaching English, English is just such an unusual language in some ways in the way mm. its grammar works and it's so irregular as well. Um, but also the second thing I realized is that teachers can fall into, English teachers can fall into the habit of teaching, they think they're teaching English, but actually they're teaching grammar. And grammar is, is arguably a false construct. Okay, mm. and it's not really. Um, yes, it does help to improve communication, but really, it's a set of rules that we've um, defined around language. Yeah. Well, and so yeah. So what I was going to say, basically, the signal here is possibly how well educated someone <coughs> is, um, or and or um, they just might have certain problems. They might be dyslexic, for example, or if we're looking at spelling, let's say. Mm. And so yeah. So I I try because whenever I see oranges with apostrophe, it always makes me sort of go. Ur! as well um but i've sort of had to sort of train myself go well look you know it just doesn't mean that's a bad person all that means is that i don't know they haven't i don't know how to say this without sounding condescending but they just may might not be very well educated let's say yeah. which is not their fault necessarily anyway um peter yeah i think that's an important point to really hit home that a language is just a convention um, and um, it's, so it's, there's no absolute rightness in language and language has always been extremely evolving always changing and always things adding and falling out of use so um, there is no absolute correctness so I think there's an interesting moral and ethical uh, question around how you know assessing people's goodness in, as a proxy for how risky they are based on their use of language which should be there as something to enjoy in life something you can play with something you can mm-hmm. you can tinker with and use to your you used to get across whatever meaning it is you want to get across so it's you're not measuring people's sort of rightness or or worthiness you're actually measuring their conformity to any to an arbitrary standard yeah and yeah. i think i think without you know wanting to get all uh, orwellian but um you know controlling people's use of language is you know, on some level, an attempt by society to control them. And if you look at, um, you know, sometimes standardizations have become quite uh, uh, politicized. Like if you look at the difference between UK, you know, British and American spellings, for Mm. example, that was that was driven, that divergence was driven by, you know, a a political sort of um, necessity. And Mm -hmm. uh, 
if you you know if you look at the history of, of um, standardized spellings, often they have not led to clarity, but um, it's about elitism. So that like words like debt used to be spelt D-E-T, but there was this drive to make British uh, English spellings um, closer to, to their Latin roots, mm. you know, uh, it, which is clearly a form of, of elitism, in, mm-hmm. you know, to some degree. So a lot of the standardization around language is a is about is is as i said not about the you know conveying meaning it is about um creating creating barriers for others for others to fail at and so i think the use of that in insurance as peter said is actually quite quite an interesting but i think it's, it's, it's interesting though because this is this is something that people you it's very difficult not to do so when you meet somebody who with a foreign accent you instantly judge them in some way no matter how hard you try not to you you are inherently fairly xenophobic as a human being you're designed to favor your in-group versus the the out group um so you you you, and and nice cases when you when you meet someone often quite young uh who use words inappropriately they they use the wrong word to mean something Mm. um uh and it's funny. I literally it? can't stand that. When yeah, I literally that. can't stand that. And it, it, it's sort of, it's entertaining. And so you're, ju- you're, you're, you're finding it funny. You're, you're, you're belittling them in some <laughs> way. Um, but, all, but, all, but I think, you know, it's, there are genuine, you know, there are reasonable excuses for this. So people, uh, there's lots of, sort of it, often re- um, referenced in literature, Dickens and things, talk about the, the self-educated and the way you, you can pick them out is when they, they mispronounce a word because they've not received that word. The people they talk to uh, don't use that word, but they've tried to work out how to how to how to uh, how to um, uh, announce that word um, from from text. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think you know, particularly in in this country with with our class system, you know, mm-hmm. pr- pronunciation is uh, is a really interesting you know um, uh, feature. There's a, there's a great um, observation by um the comedian david mitchell about uh the word valet and right. uh he does this whole sort of thing about um the fact that uh actually if you had had a valet in you know the edwardian era mm-hmm. you would have said the word valet that's how you would have pronounced it but he can't bring himself to pronounce it the way that it would have been used because he's then scared that people who who well, people, the people, people who, will think he's making the the t- yeah. you know the, the most basic error as opposed to actually being more sophisticated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I, but yeah. I, and I think the people um, who who can afford valets actually still call them valets. Yeah. And there's another point here which goes back to class, which is about being middle class, which is this would be a very middle class uh, sort of conundrum, right? Because mm. if you were actually upper class, you wouldn't you wouldn't care. What no, anyone's that's right. Thought. Anyway, yeah. um, so we've sort of talked a lot there about language and grammar, etc. But let's, let's bring this back round um, um, to insurance. Now, what strikes me here is you can say, well, look, in some ways, this isn't fair. It's an unfair judgment, etc. If we're talking about um, uh, misspellings and bad grammar, etc. However, um, just from a, uh, from a pure, let's say, commercial point of view, um, it's a benefit to the insurer if they use whatever tools that are at their disposal um, to better price premiums. And uh, by extension, it should be uh, better for the consumer because mm. it's, everyone should be interested in more accurate um, premium assessments. 
So, um, where do we go from there? Yeah, Tell well, I, I think it's I, I think it's an interesting point, um, and uh, you know, in many cases, I suspect what they have found is proxies for the things they are no longer allowed to discriminate against. So, overconfident language uh, is probably an indication of you being a young man, for example, uh, because you know that's that's how you're sort of conditioned to speak in in the circles you know with your with your peers um one of the one, but, of, the, one of the other major drivers which is often uh, slated is is the use of occupation because mm. occupations are um are, are very polarized often between genders um so if you say you're a civil engineer uh your insurance problem premium will be much higher than if you say you're a nurse just simply because um, your uh, your your given profession will have be overridingly one gender over the other, and I, th- I think the thing that that, that people uh, object to is um, uh, sort of um, inequitable uh, having to pay more for something that they are unable to do anything about. So if if you've just found a proxy for somebody being young and male, there's clearly nothing that that person can can do about that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you are charging on the basis of some demonstration of of the risk, so their individual behavior, which which is where I think, you know, these uh things that monitor driving driving behavior have, have um become uh, much more popular then then I think people are more prepared to to accept okay you know my driving behavior shows that I'm more likely to crash I'm I'm happy to pay or not happy but society is, is happier to judge them on that basis as opposed to something fixed that they can't change okay but I mean what I would sort of my immediate response to that would be well you may not be able to change it but that doesn't make you any a safer driver so that young men are more dangerous. Well, I think the objection is that statistically it doesn't make you a safe driver, but there are plenty of safe young men. Um, so I think that, and that the objection comes from you're, you're putting, you're, you're tarring everyone with the same brush. Um, so the, 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 there, the sort of, there are two kind of extreme ways you can make it totally fair in inverted mm. commas. One, you could everyone pays the same rate, mm. and it's only modified by the things you can totally choose. So not many things left, but the value of the vehicle you can choose to drive a cheaper vehicle uh, or you can choose to drive a more expensive vehicle whichever vehicle you can afford so or you can the other extreme is you collect lots and lots of data about people's in the individual's behavior and their policy is entirely tailored to their historical behavior and i think that this is this is happening more and more and more so aviva have a, a, a rate a, your driver rating app which collects um, data about how quickly you accelerate and how quickly you uh, and how fast you brake and where you go and it, these are all sort of um, these are much more choice-driven behaviours than things you you're lumbered with at birth. But isn't it a question of and uh, you're kind of saying it there? Isn't isn't it just the case that here's another set of data that um, an insurer can add to the other data points that they've yeah. got, as you've just mentioned, and it's just another aspect which they can throw in there which can make it even more accurate. And I think the issue, I, I think this gets to the heart of um, uh, the ethics around data, data analytics because, um, yes, you're right, it, it, and, and many people just treat it as, well, look, we're not, we're not making traditional judgments that would be considered 
prejudice. We're just looking at the data, so it's objective, isn't it? So we, you know, it's it's color blind or gender blind or or whatever. But not if that data is very highly correlated with, um, you know, those things that you're trying. Society is trying not to be prejudiced uh, against. And and so car insurance is one thing, which is, um, you know reasonably contentious but but you know we we probably um accept the way that it's 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 done but i think what's increasingly alarming is the way this uh certainly in the in the u.s um judicial system is being uh, uh background data is being used to help um judges reach decisions about whether or not uh to um whether or not an individual to to help them guide the sentencing of whether or not somebody's likely to reoffend or not, uh, and so under those circumstances, um, you know if you are making if you are making judgments that uh, are based on supposedly objective data, but data which is tied very closely to somebody's ethnicity, for example, uh, then that is something we you know we presumably want to have a look at um okay so it's interesting so immediately probably intuitively i would imagine to most people there's some sort of line there that's crossed and so i wonder what that line is because if we're talking about insurance and we all say okay that sounds fine and someone pays more or less then and broadly speaking people i mean i would go well that's okay that's fair however when it gets and even though you're talking about a future possibility as soon as that future possibility becomes someone um, being locked up for longer or executed, which is possible in the US, I guess. I don't know if they would use it in this in this mm. particular way. But suddenly, some somewhere there, a moral line or an ethical line seems to have been crossed. And I, I, I have a problem with that. So why would I have a problem with it with that, but not with um, not with insurance? Well, probably because the per- perceived consequences are are great you know incarceration versus having to pay you know 50 percent more for your for your car insurance um the consequences yeah. are, are, are greater i suppose but the i think the, the point is uh data is being used increasingly to 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 guide decisions uh and right rightly so and probably helping us make you know much much better decisions but i think it just highlights that there is a requirement to think very carefully about just how objective some data is when you are using it as to to indicate the characteristics of an individual so it sounds like one thing we could say is the with improving technology part of that is um, an increased um, um, volume and um, new new data sources but with that new, those new data sources that we have there's a new sort of we're going to new um, moral ethical territory which we have to keep an eye on right is that what we're saying and is that it and we put this to bed well i think it's interesting why 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 do you uh care more about the moral implications of data in judicial processes versus uh car insurance phrase because i'm sure if you were go if you were applying for a job and uh you found out later on that you didn't get the job because this company had the deliberate policy of hiring more women or uh, more older people or or some other fairly arbitrary thing you, you you probably feel quite annoyed about that but this is this is the same thing that's happening with your car insurance you're being charged more simply because you're a man mm. i think yeah it's perceived con- consequences uh and you're right i mean i'm fairly unemployable anyway but um <laughs> so that's but why you do our podcast that's right I'm that's here. why i'm here um that's yeah i mean you're quite right you know i mean i would be really 
you know, it would it starts to get slightly, you know, minority report dystopian sort of um, territory, doesn't it? Um, but I think, I, but I think it's, I think the, there is hope in the future. I think that if we are careful about the data we collect, um, and uh, you collect more of the right kinds of data, and uh, deliberately exclude those data which which have strong proxies for something which you don't want to be. Uh, discriminating against then then the future's bright yeah and look I'm, I'm close to wanting to wrap it up but are there any other proxies that we've not talked about here well I, th I think just an alternative viewpoint which is um you know that that there is an argument that says um actually if you're if you're trying to achieve something um like uh, optimize the pricing of uh, car insurance or ensure that people who are more likely to commit crimes you know um, go go to jail uh, and those that um, have got a greater chance of rehabilitation don't uh, then there is a there is the alternative argument is that actually you should you should be extremely ruthless about your use of data and the the fact that something um, correlates that is unpalatable to society with with the outcome if it if it helps you if it helps you optimize your results you should you should go down that route and i think you, you know in in counter to that uh, uh that idea you know th there needs to be a, a rationale for for why it is society is considering um, not just picking the best predictors of something, even if they happen to be very closely associated with somebody's gender, ethnicity, social class, whatever. Um, Peter, and I th well, I think uh, the 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 problem with insurance having this potential amorality to it is not because of the algorithms are particularly chosen. That's a sub. That's that is a uh, consequence of insurance being a private enterprise. Mm. The insurance is not in the business of doing what's right for people. Insurance is in the business of making money and maximizing their profit. And the way they they've done that is finding sets of algorithms that work. Mm. Um, so, uh, arguably, if 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 it's collectively decided that insurance car insurance is something that everybody needs who drives a car then perhaps it should be organized extra publicly and and provided uh, provided by the state as something that you get much as other utilities are mm -hmm. i think for me the if if i have if, if something i have of concern about this is the what what if what if i'm not a facebook user for example is that people are coerced into a certain kind of behavior that um, and this does happen already with uh, job interviews in the U.S. and um, I can't remember how Facebook profiles are used. But what if you're someone who doesn't have a Facebook profile? What if you've made a, either a conscious or unconscious decision to say, "Well, I'm not going to be a Facebook user," and then suddenly you're put at a disadvantage? But that's but that, my issue. Yeah, and that will be incorporated into the into the data. You know, it'll be a, a Facebook user or not not a Facebook user, and that may be used to provide some level of inf information ab about you but I, to, to me the the interesting thing that people involved in predictive analytics uh, should be asking themselves is um, even if you could predict something more um, more accurately using data should should you that's that's the question I think you know we could we could get a situation where you could very very um, you know very very accurately predict something but it would be based on all sorts of measures that we as society 
don't want to discriminate against, even if actually in terms of the data set you've got, that, that helps you predict the, out, the outcome well. So, so it's, a, it's a moral question as well as a mathematical question. I, think. I like that. And I think unusually, I'd like to leave things on a question rather than an answer. Because I think that's a really good question. Just because you can do something, should you? Just because you can predict more accurately, is that something you should do? Um, okay. I, also unusual. I feel quite serious about this suddenly, and I, I'm we're quite discussing quite heavy, profound stuff here that sort of um, has great consequence for for all mankind or humankind that's listening. So we'll stop there. Um, thank you as always for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Chris Rag and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.